This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mento LLC. Mento LLC Trade Consulting focuses on issues of duty minimization, recovery, and elimination, while also helping our clients with trade compliance issues of both the import and export nature and global cargo security. You can reach us at 978-317-3250 or email me directly at pete.mento at Mento LLC. From Washington, D.C., this is Trade Geek Podcast with your host, Pete Mento. Well, as Christmas comes around and New Year's as well, it's very important for your old friend, the Trade Geek here, to take a minute to thank all of you for the incredible support I've had from each and every one of you, whether it's the many of you who decided to come to me for advice and counsel and assistance, or those of you who have recommended me to your friends and colleagues. It was a scary year for me. Um, Going out on my own was something I'd always thought I should do, but never really had the bravery to do. It was um, all of you supporting me that let me do it. So as you gather around for the holidays with all the people you love in this really difficult time to enjoy a holiday, I just want you to know that in my home, with the people I love. I'll be thinking of each and every one of you that's made this life for me possible and all the great blessings that you've given to me over the course of the year. I can't do it without you. And I'll never forget that. Thank you all so much. And please have a great holiday. With that, on with the show. Well, ho, 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 everybody. It's uh, the old St. Pete here. It's uh, 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time for beautiful Manchester, New Hampshire, where I am, unfortunately, the latest statistic. Your friend, uh, they need to be. Um, I'm the latest statistic in the COVID wars, everyone. Unfortunately, I caught the uh, dreaded virus. I thought it was just a chest cold. Um, because of a negative, what is it, a false negative test? But um, I do, I do have the dreaded virus. I did get pneumonia, but I am heavily medicated at the moment. I have antibiotics coursing through my veins, and I'm feeling better every day. So I may not be as animated and wild as you would like me to be, but it is 11 o'clock on Friday, and that means it's time for trade school, and it means it's time for everyone's favorite session. Pete's predictions for 2021. My annual prediction show is usually the one that people uh, watch the most. And I've had an uncanny ability to um, tell the future by just basically looking at obvious stuff, to to be fair, okay? Most of what I'm gonna share with you today is uh, me connecting the dots on obvious information to give you an idea of what I see for the coming year, how that's gonna affect us from a professional standpoint, and what it means for the broader global economy. If anything, I think my first slide here is probably a great indication. Um, no one's put out the dumpster fire. If you came to today hoping for just, you know, a good old good old Christmas, ha-ha, punch in the arm, everything's going to be great, you're going to be sorrowfully mistaken. Uh, the, the, the subtitle for today, I think, is probably the most important thing all of you need to learn. If you've never been in the military, never been associated with the military or worked with them. You might not understand what it means to, quote, embrace the suck. Embracing the suck is a mostly Marine Corps term. Uh, And what it means is when there's really nothing you can do about how bad a situation you're in, make the best of it. Try to find some way to find an advantage out of your disadvantage. My advice to you in 2021 is that we will all be embracing the suck a great deal. There is, um, for whatever reason, there's all these people who are doing their um, economic predictions, market predictions, and they're all flowery and full of hope. And I don't know if they hit the eggnog a little too early or if they're just tired of giving bad news. I don't understand how they're drawing these conclusions. There's a lot of awful out there and it will continue to affect the global economy, supply chains, and what's worse, cargo security. And uh, I get to do a little bit of gloating today, which um, I don't like having to do. 
but it's something important to me and I think it's about time people started paying attention to it. I will leave plenty of time for questions at the end if you have direct questions, uh, but we got a lot to go over, so let's hit it. All right, let's see here, Pete, you can use a mouse, I believe in you. So if you're looking for um, good news, you got the wrong guy, it's gonna be a really rough year. 2021 is gonna be awful um, from the perspective of supply chains, cargo security, cybersecurity, the reinvention of this global economy, people coming back to work, unemployment, inflation, political unrest, you're gonna have it all. So if you were hoping that uh, this year you guys were gonna wake up on January 1st of 2021 with a bit of a hangover and it was all gonna suddenly be better, right not. Uh, there's really nothing positive I can give you that should should make you feel that way. We are in for a long slog. This is really halftime of the fight. Um, I'm sorry if uh, if that's hard on you, but if anything, I've always wanted to be the guy that told you the truth. And um, why am I wearing my Santa Claus hat? In the great words of my grandmother, if uh, if you've got bad news to give somebody, you should probably have either an attractive person or a clown give it. I am both an attractive person and a clown. So that's why I put on the hat today to maybe make it a little more festive. Uh, but bad news from somebody in a Santa hat maybe might help a little bit. The first thing we have to get into is something that I was reminded of the other day. I, I love TAPA. There are very few organizations of people who have been as good to me as TAPA has. And a few years ago, back in Nashville, TAPA was kind enough to give me, um, I forget what they called it. It was like a, it was like a, a career award or a, you know, lifetime achievement award. And I'm like, dude, I'm 45 years old, you know? Um, but it, it said that I was always telling you what's probably going to happen in a way that you can consume. And if you remember, for those of you who are in Nashville that year, I told you that all the physical security stuff in the world isn't going to matter in 10 years, maybe even less than that. Last year in my 2020 show, I said that there was going to be a major cyber breach and it would happen close to the end of the year. Roll the tape. I even said Q4 of 2020, I, I even said it. So roll the tape guys. I told you this would happen and it has. The most important, terrifying, impactful cyber attack in human history has just been revealed. And that, that, that attack is just now sort of bubbling up in the news. If you remember last January, when I gave everyone the bad news that the pandemic was going to close down the global economy, that everyone thought I was nuts. I told you this is a story people aren't paying attention to because it's not entertaining. This is another story that people aren't paying attention to because they don't see it as entertaining. The most impactful, dangerous episode of cyber theft and cyber incursion since we've had that as a term has just happened and as a country as a business and security and as people who watch this we are all just beginning to scratch the surface of how terrible solar winds was i'm going to get into it here and it's probably going to take up maybe the first 15 to 20 minutes of our session today because it's just that important um, what you're beginning to read about what you're beginning to see in the media is just the first hint of how deep this goes and it falls right into line with what i warned people about in nashville all those years ago many of the people who i work with in cargo security are very good at what they do which is recovering physical products and stopping people from stealing them but as i warned you back on that stage in nashville you're not cyber professionals there's very few of you and unfortunately the real money is going to be in stealing ideas not in stealing products sorry so if you haven't learned how to manage this, if you're not putting equal, if not more money into cybersecurity as you are physical security, you're about to get smacked with a shovel of wisdom. And it's going to happen through the course of 2021, 22, and 23. Everything about cyber is about to change because the breadth of what has just happened will be known over the course of the next couple of weeks. So what eventually happened is there was one particular piece of software that was resident on hundreds of thousands, 100,000 or more, I believe, businesses. Um, software systems. And when an update occurred, about 18,000 people ended up putting an update onto their their computer, their system. And that was a booby trap. It had malware in it. And that malware ended up infiltrating an entire supply chain. Now, okay, 
big deal. As I've been saying over and over and over again to the point where I'm getting tired of saying it, supply chains reach everything from purchase order through payment. From the time an individual requests something until it is delivered, goes through transportation infrastructure, goes through governmental agencies, goes through banking, then goes through individuals' systems. And that information and that incursion has just happened through an entire supply chain. So this is much worse than anyone realizes and nobody wants to talk about it. It's too much good news, right? We've had uh, presidential elections. We're not seeing the civil unrest that we had seen before. Things are quieting down. Um, there's uh, the holidays that have come across in a vaccine. So people are a little more fixated on the good news. But as winter begins to set in and the damage begins to be noted, what they'll tell us, there'll be a lot they won't be able to tell us, of course. This is going to become clear as to just how effective these uh, hackers were. Like most hacks, the idea is not to immediately go in and wreck everything. The best thing to do when you're a hacker is to gain access and lay dormant and be quiet and gather. You want to listen, okay? So I've often said to people, when it comes to cyber attacks, you have to remember that age-old phrase, oh, if I could just be a fly on the wall. Imagine how useful it would be if you could be a fly on the wall that was discussing the vaccination distribution or even how it worked. Imagine how interesting it would be to be a fly on the wall to have access to private conversations amongst people in our government, private conversations amongst people involved in supply chains. An alarming amount of embarrassing information, personal information is shared across people inside of their own organizations using their own email. The number of people who put embarrassing personal information on company email, um, on company messaging is preposterous. And over time, you just sit back and you gather it all. Again, to go back to my grandmother, um, one of the things that I always found most fascinating about her was she listened to everything and she rarely spoke. She rarely spoke ever in large crowds. She told people one-on-one -on -one what they needed to hear based on all the information she'd gathered from all the people around her. That's essentially what SolarWinds did. It was able to go in and very quietly lay dormant and listen and gather information. And while they were doing that, understand the many firewalls and security infrastructures that had been built in order to keep it away and break it down from the inside. Solar wind went all the way through the government. We're not talking about that yet. The most powerful, well-funded government in the world was infiltrated. And you think that it couldn't happen to your cell phone? You're an idiot. <laughs> you don't think it could happen to your business, that it couldn't happen to the infrastructure of a bank, that it couldn't happen to the infrastructure of an energy company or water. It's happened, okay? The worst has happened. And how deep it goes is just now being understood. The largest victim of the entire um, the entire fraud here was probably the U.S. government. In effect, we got pantsed. Okay, so and not only that, but now the whole world knows that it happened, which you'd never want to happen in a cyber incursion. You're trying to keep the information about that from getting out. So the compromise has happened all the way through Homeland Security. It happened through the Treasury. Um, you know, there's an article that came out today that said it happened to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So every single corner of our government has been infiltrated. And that means, again, they've been sitting there quietly. So now we're trying to understand how to disable the hack. If we can disable it, how we'll know that we've disabled it, how we know the original hack hasn't turned it into something else, that it was uh, like an M&M, right? It was candy coated on the outside, but it melted on the inside once it got inside. And how many other attacks how many other incursions have happened since they were able to get in? Researchers have named this thing sunburst, um, solar winds, right? Sunburst, but again, it got in and exploded, okay? So it could take years, I'll say that again, years to fully understand and comprehend how brutal of an attack this has been. Why will it take years? Because we're talking about 18,000 different companies. How many of them are gonna cooperate? And those are just the ones we know about. How many of them are going to jump on this right away? How many companies still don't know they've been infiltrated? More, I think, than we realize. What's really gotten the attention of people in the know is that this was a supply chain attack. Over and over again, over and over again, 
when you read in the media what people are talking about now, the message is consistent. The ability for this virus to get in there and, and really hammer a company, really hammer a government, happened because of the interconnectivity of the supply chain, of the need for us to be able to share information across our entire organization and many other organizations. And all it took was one software system to have access to so many other ones. I mean, it's not genius. It's not, it's not rocket science. What essentially was done is some very smart computer hackers realized that there were a number of businesses that had software models that had promulgated across entire, entire supply chains. If they can hack one of them, they can get into all of them. Remember, we had a, an accounting um, software piece that was pretty prevalent a while back. This one was much nastier. So if you look at what Mr. Biden's head for a cybersecurity group says here, I think it's important to realize that you know, the, the idea of finding that one piece of software or that one business model and getting its fingers into everything as fast as possible, it's just common sense. You attack the things most connected, most relied upon, and probably taken for granted. You don't think about how likely it is somebody could break in. And think about that as, as professionals from a physical security assessment. Think about how often that you've worked with the companies and the people you work with, and you've pointed out what to you is the most obvious backdoor way that someone had probably gotten in or could get in, and people were just oblivious to. No idea that they had left that window unlocked since the time they bought the house, or that that backdoor had a lock on it that they weren't using, whatever the case may be. This backdoor has been exploited, and there's no reason to stop it now, particularly because this is gonna become a blueprint for how people do it in the future. Uh, and I think, okay, I'll, let's just get into it. So Homeland Security and, and Department of uh, Homeland Security folks, you've gotta remember how big of an organization we're talking. It includes the cyber defense of this country and it was compromised. So it was national and economic. There were a lot of companies as well that found themselves on the outside looking in on this and getting beat up along the way, unfortunately. Um, so there was an economic devastation as well as state secret devastation that probably came from this. Where I, I keep trying to get people's attention on this one is you know, these magic boxes. Magic box, magic box. Uh, the level of security on magic boxes is not what you think it is. The level of security on the on the device that you are probably watching this right now, your your iPad or your your laptop or your your tablet, whatever the case may be, is not what you think it is. And all of the things that you do on those platforms that you are giving these people access to once they break in, your messaging, your email, your finances, and then information to reach out to all the other people that you're connected to. And if they can find ways to infiltrate into them as well. What does it mean to be a fly on the wall between relationships and conversations that we just take for granted no one's ever going to see? No one's ever going to notice the text message you send to your friend that has inside compromising information about somebody you work with. A lot of times these hacks, when they've happened, hackers have very effectively blackmailed large corporations by saying, we're going to release information about who gets paid what, or information that could put you in a bad situation regarding how you may be seen from anything from sexual harassment, race relations, whatever the case may be. Um, and then also information about your business and your finances that could have a really negative effect on your stock price. This is the US government. Stocks come and go, companies come and go. This is the US government. And effectively, they were able to do the same thing with those comms, right? So I gotta go back one. So the worst part is something that uh, I've always called in my writing, the mobile phone when you're a cheater panic. Um, I had a situation that I, I love to talk about in these presentations, but I'd like to relive, where I had said to someone I was dating, well, listen, I, I looked at your phone a few minutes ago and the look on her face, I was just gonna tell her I liked the picture of the two of us that she was using as a screensaver. And the look on her face of panic when I said, I was looking at your phone a minute ago. Um, and I said, what's wrong? And she said, why are you on my phone? No, all right. Anybody who's that worried about me seeing that kind of information probably has something worth 
um, something worth not being caught. Right now, the entire infrastructure of a lot of companies, as soon as they found out somebody was looking, they began to realize as they begin to uncover what they could have been looking at, just how much sensitive information was on these servers. Everything from formulations for chemicals, formulations for medicines, the inside research and development of very high-end, very important American innovation, all of the conversations between government officials and companies they're working with. Uh, there can be a lot of embarrassing information there. We have no idea what they've seen. We have no idea what was stolen. We don't know what was broken and what could be dormant for later. It is highly unlikely that somebody who was this advanced and somebody who had this level of insider information was not able to put secondary, tertiary attacks inside of the system. We're going to find out how to deal with the first one probably right as the second or the third one is coming up. All right, so um, now for the really bad news. <laughs> so, <laughs> man, I wish I could drink um, for this one. It's very, very likely that many of the most important secrets of multinational companies were stolen. And it's the most effective way to actually take, when you can't fight us in a war, when you can't argue our politics compared to the rest of the globe, it's very easy to topple a country by toppling its economy. And if you were able to steal our ideas and take theft of our innovation, it makes it hard for us to continue to have any sort of dominance. So just imagine what was exposed. Just for a second, just stop for a second, think about it. What do you think conversations were like on messaging systems and emails between the government and 17,999 individual companies about a national pandemic distributing our vaccines in an election year with a contested election. Imagine the information that these people had access to. And now they're just laying dormant trying to find more. I kind of um, kind of lost it a few days ago when I was reading about this because we've been in a position to do something about it for a long time and we haven't. I like to fight. It's part of when you're a young man and you go to sea and, you know, guys get a little too much liquid courage in them and before you know it, they're swinging. I really love it. I, I had a hard time living in Minnesota simply because I never walked away from conflict and people there absolutely can't stand conflict. It was fun for me. I was just a joke that Minnesota nice meant Massachusetts mean. But one of the things that taught me living there was that the best thing you can do sometimes is to look for consensus and move forward and not play your whole hand. And by no question, that's exactly what happened here. How did it happen again? I was speaking with a friend of mine in a foreign intelligence service about this this week, a non-US intelligence service. And he said it best, why would anyone be worried about picking a fight with the US over cyber incursions when their election was compromised and nobody bothered to punish the people who did it? You can bully anyone you want if they don't fight back. The president now did nothing. The next one won't either. Expect to have your lunch money taken over and over until you stand up for yourself. And your lot aren't impressing anyone as focused and full of resolve these days. Embrace the suck. You can look at all of the ways that the US military, the US government, everything about, about you know, when, when information about the Democratic National Party was basically just thrown out into the press, we did nothing. We talked about sanctions, they didn't go anywhere. We did not effectively deal with the problem or the threat. We have not done anything to Russia. And we know that this was Russia again. They went on Facebook to deny it. How very 2020 of them. We know who's doing these things. It's, it's just a number of nations, right? It's Iran, it's Russia, it's China, it's North Korea, and then rogue states. We do nothing, we do nothing. Because I don't know if we're afraid to, or if we're worried that things that we have done could be uncovered that are just as equally bad. I don't know. But this does not appear to be a political group that is going to go on the offensive either. Embrace the suck. That's like the worst first 10 slides I've ever had to give. Um, I don't have any good news. And the reason I don't have any good news is I have been in front of tens of thousands of you. And that's live. That's not even with this stuff. 
with, with this necessity of me talking to a laptop now. I've been physically in front of tens of thousands of you. I'd, I'd argue almost 100,000 of you. And I've told you again and again and again that we are going to have a, a massive attack. It's going to affect every level of the government, every level of, and it's happened. And I've told you that it was going to end up changing the way you look at security forever. But if you look at the money that people spend on cyber versus physical security, it's a joke. And if you look at the number of people who have password one um, as their password, it's even more hysterical. I'm gonna come back next year and I'm probably gonna give a similar presentation because no one's going to do a damn thing. Merry Christmas. Moving on, um, we can talk about the global economy and where we see that going. There's a lot of people right now that are saying that China is going to have this incredible comeback year, that everything is coming up roses for them. I simply disagree. And the reason I disagree is because there's going to be a rebalancing of global supply chains. If you talk to practically any American or Western European country, uh, a company engaged in those businesses, they are all actively looking for secondary means of production. They're looking for ways when they're building intellectually property, intellectual property laden products to find other areas to manufacture them. And they're becoming very, very concerned about having a plan B. What they've learned during that plan B is that they can get equally effective products from parts of the world they never thought would be equally effective. One of those, of course, being Mexico. I think that China's growth is capped. It is capped until China is able to convert its local consumption and middle-class growth into consumption of Chinese products with Chinese brand names made by Chinese companies. And once that happens, to be able to convert that growth into a global um, a global adoption of Chinese products and Chinese brand names. And I don't think that COVID-19 helped them. I think that it's going to have a short-term effect of them being able to jump back into their economy faster. I think you're going to find that uh, of all the countries we talk about today, China probably has the opportunity to grow the fastest um, as far as recovery goes. But I think that what happened with COVID is that a lot of companies now realized over-reliance um, and, and a an honest lack of necessity of managing their supply chains from that particular country, you're going to see a backlash. And that backlash is going to result in opportunities in parts of the world that have been setting up infrastructure to deal with it. More on that later. Now, regarding the US, um, it's not, you know, we're not in it for, for a few easy years. It doesn't mean that things aren't going to slowly and methodically get better. Favorite boss I ever had used to always say to me that success is the incremental realization of a worthwhile goal. It is deciding to come up with a goal and then through incremental actions with resolve, doing the little things over and over again and adding more of those little things to it until you begin to accomplish these goals and making those goals the bedrock of who you are and creating a foundation for further success on incremental change. That's what's going to have to happen. It's going to have to be an attitude that we make some sweeping changes, as an example, to uh, our supply chains, um, making changes as it were to the way we produce goods, embracing new technologies and new ideas. Um, until then, though, I think every sneeze, every hiccup, every misstep will be amplified. There's a, a great economic, an, uh, economic term that people use called the cheating spouse effect that once you've found out someone has cheated, you never trust them again and again. Man, I got a lot of cheating stuff in here, huh? strange. Um, you you never really trust that person fully again. It's hard for you to trust them again. Um, I think you're going to see more of that in the coming years where any little hiccup in a supply chain, you're going to have executives saying, this feels like COVID all over again. This feels like Brexit all over again. You know, The difference here being between something like Y2K and COVID is that COVID really did have a pretty negative effect on everything. So I believe you're going to see U.S. companies very, very skittish and at the same time really bracing, not being as abundantly and overly, um, uh, it's really not embracing big opportunities to do big things when it comes to just simply trusting too much overseas. Politics is going to be fascinating. Um, it, it's all but a fait accompli that left-leaning politics is going to be embraced globally. 
over the course of 2021, there is going to be a need for over investment in infrastructure. Um, tax and spend kind of politics. And I don't get into politics, you guys know that. But you're going to see um, just from an observational standpoint, particularly in places like the United States, United Kingdom, even Japan, um, an embracing of this idea of using government's power to try to affect some relief. And that usually uh, happens in the effect of, of taxation with a follow-on of, uh, of spending that money. It's going to eventually backfire, not in 2020, but there will be some years down the road where um, certain economic factors will probably lead to some regrets about doing this. But here's the thing, right? It's easy for me to say to everyone, a lot of what we're trying to save doesn't really need saving. There's a lot of businesses that, that probably shouldn't make it through this. That's just not humane. And as humane, humanitarian, Western economies, we don't really look at things that way. And the power of the vote will probably result in people having some businesses, um, you know, hopefully pushed up and helped up that maybe weren't necessarily gonna survive regardless of the pandemic. But that's the good with the bad, right? If you wanna see this economy recover, just about anybody from a hard right to a hard left economist is gonna tell you it's gonna require massive government injections of cash. Just how big those are, I think, is where the disagreements will come in. So with that, inflation. Um, you would have to be crazy not to see inflation returning. With the government currently being in a position where they have an almost unlimited thirst and hunger uh, by its people to print money and to distribute it, it's unlikely that that's going to stop. Uh, government will produce as much wealth and as much redistribution of that wealth as they are allowed to do. That's one of the basic fundamentals of political science. And right now, um, this particular government is poised to do exactly that with the support of a great deal of America. But it also creates decades and decades of inflation, um, or the possible decades of inflation. And we're about to see the kind of inflation that we haven't seen in a very long time, 1980s sort of uh, inflation. So we'll see where that goes. Um, the saddest part of all, so, you know, this is not, again, rocket science. I'm not sitting here saying, look at me, I'm a genius. I'm talking about inflation. No, the important thing that no one's talking about is that third bullet point. American businesses are simply not prepared for inflation. They're not. Um, banks are, investment firms are, um, certainly private equity firms are, but most American businesses are not prepared for inflation and what that's going to mean to their business. They don't talk about it. Most of them don't even understand it. They don't put themselves in a position to prepare for the downward effects of inflation on even the most simple of businesses. Trucking is a great example of that. I think you're going to find that inflation is going to have a more brutal effect on transportation markets than many other markets because of the many things that are subject to inflation. Things like the price of oil, things like the price of labor, things like the price of repairs and um, the people to repair them. It's going to be very, very tough on our business. All right, so a little bit of good news, okay? Um, let's let's go ahead and just take a minute and shake it off. All right, things are gonna start to get a little better here. Well, not a lot, but a little better. Um, I'm always talking about music, my presentations, whether it's on Global Trade This Week, which is my weekly television show available on YouTube, um, or if it's during the podcast that I do for Trade Geek, I'm always talking about music. I'm a, I'm a wannabe musician. And I love it. And in my house at, uh, at Santa Claus's uh, headquarters here in the North Pole, you are always going to hear 80s R&B and hip hop. A lot of it. You'll hear a lot of other stuff, but you're definitely going to hear a lot of 80s R&B. And because I am um, a transplanted Texan into New England and a New Englander, New Edition is going to have a lot of love in the Mento house. Um, and, and, the, and the New Edition guys, right? So Bobby Brown and Ralph and Belle Biv DeVoe and Johnny Gill, right? You're going to hear a lot of that in Pete's house. I apologize. Uh, and my poor daughter, who is 14 years old and thinks my music sucks. And that's that's regardless of whether or not it's the new edition or if it's Led Zeppelin. She cannot stand my music. Uh, she will tell you that many times I will use lines from this music that she can't stand to try to help her understand the situation. Folks. 
I want you to go get your your new edition um, best of CD. You know, get the dust off, or go onto your device and, and get the essentials. You know, for new edition. And I want you to put on one of the great new edition songs. Can you stand the rain? Sunny days. Everybody wants them, but tell me, baby, can you stand the rain, right? So many companies are going to rise and fall in the course of the next couple of years. They are going to have headwinds of inflation, dramatic changes to the way that people purchase their goods, dramatic changes on the reliability of the costs to manufacture and distribute their products, big, big changes in unemployment, ups and downs, and a change to the way that local economies embrace consumption. What comes at the end of this is going to be awesome. There will be a lot of people trying to save a little money here and there by going out and renegotiating freight rates, um, dumping this vendor over that one to save one or 2% on costs. Can you stay in the rain? You know, cash is gonna be king. Liquidity is very important, as I've always said, um, for the next coming years. Uh, at the same time, along with those liquidity, liquidity concerns, agility is equally important in having the best ideas. I will say it again. Do you have what it takes to stay in the rain of what's going to be probably three brutal economic quarters, followed by three tepid ones, followed by probably a couple of years of pretty awesome. It's not going to be easy, but you're going to have to find the good in the struggle and realize you're going to look back on all this and laugh one day. So there are some good things. Um, the weak dollar, cheap energy, and DC, you know, running around throwing money out like it's Christmas time. It's going to, you know, help, but it's short-sighted because these principles are, will have a negative effect on things like inflation, but there's be some positive with the negative. You're probably going to see increases in taxes across the board, and many of them in taxes in places that we don't normally pay attention as Americans or consumers. Listen very closely to where some of these new, new ideas are. A great example of this is Mr. Biden has talked about tariffs based on, um, based on environmental policy, carbon footprint taxes. Um, taxes based on a, a country's desire to embrace clean energy. So tariffs on imported goods from countries who don't embrace these ideas. You're probably going to see more taxes because if we're going to spend more money, it's got to come from somewhere. Can you stay in the rain? Uh, you know, what's that line? Tough times don't last, tough people do. This, this is where you're going to have to decide whether or not you've got what it takes to make it. The recovery position of practically every economy is in darn good shape compared to what I thought it was going to come out last year. Um, many central banks and a lot of companies did some smart reinvesting. They took opportunities to make, to, to, to sort of turn, you know, make course corrections um, during this pandemic and do some hard things regarding people that worked for them and how they work for them to put us in a position where we are in, in better shape than it could have been. This will be, uh, you know, the long line hangover of a recovery. There's no question there, but how long it is really depends on the kind of smart decisions that were made by a lot of these countries. If you look, uh, the U S has sort of that resiliency score, that recovery score of about a four. Um, it means so 10 being the most vulnerable of economies, uh, we'll talk about India here in a minute, but you know it's surprising to see countries like Britain um, and France and Spain so vulnerable according to how the economists put together their numbers, which I thought was quite intelligent. Um, and the the ability for for uh, a country to come back now has just as much to do with what it believes in as its ability to um, dump money and energy into recovery. Will a country take the vaccine? That's a pretty big question, and that that plays a lot as you can see here into recovery, as well as just how big of a, of a pop in the nose did they take. A lot of these countries did not take as big a pop in the nose as they probably could have, and it's gonna help to a faster recovery. Tech is coming back, kids. Um, one of my big uh, realizations over the course of the past two months putting this together is you're going to see people relying even more on technology than before. Here's some examples of that. I have my cleaning lady coming today. She's not been in a while. Uh, I am not, I have to worry about giving anyone the virus. 
um, and she's coming in to do a, a very deep clean with bleach and you know she's got people coming in with a crew here to spray everything apparently and try to make my house safe again but my cleaning lady couldn't come that much during the pandemic so bought a Roomba because I hate to vacuum um, the number of ways that I have purchased technology in the course of the past year everything from updating my personal AI and updating all the speakers in my home to allow me to use that in a more credible way um, to the way that I have practically everything delivered now. And I do it all on an app from my phone. I don't even see the people who drop off my food anymore. It's just magic. There's going to be more of that. And it's going to be in every level from the consumer side through automation and production, automation in the service industry, automation and transportation. We're going to try to take the human factor out of things and make them more reliable and safer. Pit of capital for investment should start to flow out at the second half of 2021 as we get more and more positive information and indications about COVID and uh, the pandemic, which doesn't end, by the way, just because people are getting vaccines. But you're going to see money start flowing back into markets. Uh, security, speed, connectivity, and scalability will all be four things that will push investments. So the ability for SolarWinds, I'm telling you right now, the, there's going to be a lot of money spent on cyber because of it. And your ability to show how you can create a secure environment with some degree of confidence is going to uh, push a lot of money around as will increasing the speed with which we use technology. Whether that is because of everyone working from home, doing a better job of bandwidth, 5G, 5G infrastructure, all of those things. It's gonna push a ton of money around uh, with connectivity as well. Scalability, when you have a great idea, being able to make a lot of it and having it be something you can embrace across a huge environment is also going to become a really important factor here over the course of the next couple of months. Um, but I think you're going to see more money going into the market. I love this picture. Look at look at these people. Let's go out and buy a bunch of crap we don't need, mommy. Okay, kids. Let's all get into the minivan that we've leveraged ourselves to the teeth for and put money on our credit cards to buy things for people we don't even like. Yay! Uh, Retail isn't dead. Um, I'll even take a hit on this and that I thought that it would be more negatively affected. I think that COVID and the lessons we've learned from COVID are going to radically change retail. It hasn't killed it. I think it's gonna be the reinvigoration of a lot of businesses that we thought were dead. I think a lot of companies that were on the ropes pre-COVID have found ways to reinvent themselves and to reinvest into themselves in a way that's gonna make them even more powerful. This buy online, pick up and store is going extremely well for a lot of companies. And this idea of the problem to store effect, if you've, if you've never, if you never had an opportunity to shop in Soviet Russia, like your boy here did, um, there were hard currency stores where you could buy practically everything, which had to have hard currency to get into those stores. I think you're going to find a consolidation of the retail products that people want right now. And for a time, those will be in retail establishments right now. Until people don't want those right now, will be replaced with something else right now. Uh, it's going to be a change to it. I think that small companies have taught the big companies how to do e-commerce better. And big companies being big companies have money and time and people to invest in furthering these ideas. Um, I have a lot of faith in where retail is going and I didn't a year ago, but COVID has really forced people to change the way they look at things. And they're gonna take these lessons learned and they're gonna change the way they look at business and it's gonna reestablish them for the next century. Actually excited to see how this ends up. Really excited to see how it ends up. So I think you're gonna see a lot of money on the technology end for transportation um, and also the technology end for consumer to, uh, to product purchase. When dot coms first started, people thought it was absurd that you would spend money to buy something without seeing it. Now, I literally bought every single Christmas present without setting foot in the store because I felt like crap, but um, I'll never go to a retail establishment in the middle of the holidays ever again, ever. I can't imagine a lot of other people either. It's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, next, I used pictures here of these happy looking millennials, you know, these so full of life. I remember when I was young, 
first started working in the fording industry i had this old codger that i worked with i loved him his name was dan he was constantly looking at all the young people in the office and just saying god i can't wait till you all get old and tired like i am so uh whether we like it or not the the future of real estate is being determined by 20 somethings and early 30 somethings and they're doing it in a bunch of pretty interesting ways the first is that commercial real estate has always been surrounding that not always lately has been tied to where young people want to live and work and be so having that hip centrally located hq is not going to be a big deal anymore i think most of these younger people want to work from home they want to have very um, scalable personal lives that they're able to work around not the other way around for me my personal life was something i managed outside of my job for my 20s and my 30s and they're doing a much better job of that so these millennials and generation y are they're not chained to a location they don't have to go into an office they don't really want it to be that way and the more talented they are the more you're going to have to work to give them those opportunities to work freely um and this is something i i keep reading about i want you all to start watching it because it's fascinating um, as of July, 52% of millennials were living with their parents, up from 47%. So half of an entire generation, and these are people that go into their 30s, remember, are still living at home with their parents. Why is this such a big deal? Because they are intentionally, maybe even intelligently, deciding that it makes more sense for them to spend their money on their future than it does to spend it on rents, mortgages, car payments, and other infrastructure. The number of young people who play the market is astounding. But it's created this new attitude of people saying, I'm not gonna buy my first home, I'm gonna wait out my older parents until I end up just inheriting theirs. Google that, watch a bunch of videos, watch a bunch of news stories about it. It is not a simply American phenomenon, it is a Western phenomenon where children born of older parents that were born in the 80s, well, late 80s, 90s, and the aughts are now seeing parents who are in their late 50s, early 60s, and they're saying to themselves, you know, I don't know how much more line we got here on mom and dad. Why should I buy a home when I'll probably inherit my first one? It's an incredible phenomenon. But all the same, you look at these phenomena together, it looks more and more likely that you're not going to see a collection of young people excited to have that awesome office like I was. They're more concerned about having that money to reinvest and being more intelligent with it. So the next time a pandemic hits, that they're in a better position to get through it. All right, logistics. If you think that air travel is suddenly just going to come bouncing back, you need to stop drinking at work. It's not. Um, passenger cargo is going to take a while, but it's going to get there. We've seen some slow recovery, but nothing compared to what people thought it would be. Um, the one that really gets me, though, is this next slide. Domestic air travel being revived, right? There's a there's um, that quick bounce back by China and the U.S., but we're still so low from where we were. I think a lot of companies have learned that you simply can't force someone to be somewhere that isn't safe in their opinion, and you're going to see less and less folks traveling like we used to. Um, got a lot of folks who disagree with me there, but I just don't see domestic air travel being what it was ever again, ever. It's just not likely. With that will come downward pressure on transportation markets because so much of what we move via passenger is coming from these places into these places. Anybody here excited to put together a, a trip to China these days for a vacation? I don't think so. Um, now the ocean markets, even more bad news. Brace the suck, eat your cream corn, right? You don't have a choice, just eat it, stop crying. This is what it is. Now, go on Google as soon as we're done and, and type in, you know, ocean markets, coming years. It's all sending me, oh, it's all going to get better. Don't worry about it, guys. It's all going to get better. Everything's going to be fine. Um, these rates will come down eventually. We have nothing to worry about. No. The market that you have now is what happens when you systematically give up your control of a market to other people and allow them to create their own cartel. It's incredible. Look at where prices have gone in a down economy on ocean containers. 
and then near the end of this last year, as volumes have really sprung back, coming into the US from Asia, it's getting better and better, those prices are remaining stable. And the reason for that is pretty simple, right? Everyone keeps saying it can't last, it can't last. Why can't it last? Why can't this be the new normal? Because you finally have a group of ocean carriers who have decided to march in lockstep. And people are not, um, they're not resigning from these agreements. You know, they're, they're not uh, defecting. They're all saying, no, we're going to maintain volumes. We're going to maintain prices together collectively, and we're not going to stick it to one another. There's no reason why this has to stop. Sorry, it's a cabal. It's called supply and demand. You should really check into it sometime. It's a pretty cool idea. They control supply. And as demand goes up and down, I think they finally figured out how to manage those two things. You might be looking at the new normal with regards to pricing. Merry Christmas. Mexico. Mexico's economy grew at a ridiculous pace uh, in a pandemic. And it did that mostly because of trade wars and the residual, um, the residual orders that came. It really did very well with a, an expensive energy market and a thirst by America to embrace the new um, CAFTA, uh, CAFTA, the new MCA uh, NAFTA program. I think it's going to continue to be the case. The biggest loser, though, might have been India. Um, they didn't have the best luck of it in the beginning of the pandemic of being able to control what was happening. And evidence to now, their efforts are working quite well. So you're beginning to see things slow down get much, much better with the spread of this disease. Um, India's looking better and better every day. Their problem's gonna come down to the vaccine, more so than any other country in the world. There I said it. Their ability to embrace the vaccine and get people to take it is what's gonna really determine how fast their economy recovers. So right now, they've called every midwife, every nurse, every nursing student and said, can you please volunteer to distribute vaccines in a country with what, like 1.4, 1.5 billion people. And uh, they've gotten a resounding yes. So they've got hopefully the people and they've got a good plan. But the problem they've got now is they want to use an Indian vaccine. They would prefer not to use a Russian vaccine or a Chinese or an American vaccine. India is one of the most innovative countries in the world. They want to show that by using one of their own medical miracles to help people. And I guess we'll see if they do. Um, you know, back to music. There's that classic 80s song by Great White, once bitten, twice shy, right? Um, our recovery really depends on whether or not we can get over the fears of what's going on. Do we feel like we've got enough momentum to start reinvesting? Is there too much fragility in markets for us to put our money back into it? And honestly, this politicizing of everything that happens in this country now, right? Getting the vaccine now is politicized. Whether or not you wear a mask is politicized. It's just... Are people going to have decisions that are aligned on reason rather than political beliefs? And this is what my attitude comes down from. This is a picture of me, by the way, sitting in an emergency room with my uh, gown on looking just dead sexy um, moments after I was told I had COVID. People all like to talk tough, but most folks are just terrified little kids running around with credit cards and adult bodies. That's me, that's, that's my quote. Um, Pete Mento, angry, fat, bald old man, could usually write about these things and want you to get the hell off his lawn. In the end, you can all sit here and talk to me about how you're worried about taking vaccines, but you're probably more worried about dying. And I think that as the, the commercial offensive of being reminded over and over again of the new science and the new innovation that's gone into making these products and seeing people continue to die and having our personal freedoms curtailed, you can complain about it all you want. You want Want your life back you know you want to go to the movies and go to the mall and sit at applebee's and drain bud lights while you watch football with the rest of us it's not happening unless we have a vaccine sorry we're going to see people embrace it maybe not as quickly as the government thinks they are but 2021 is going to be the year of the vaccine people are going to get stuck with needles like it's an old um, sid vicious show in the 1970s it's going to happen it's going to happen a lot and people are going to embrace it all right, so that's the end of it. Um, I wanted to leave some time, and I did about eight minutes for questions. Um, I'll give you guys my my ho 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 Merry Christmas in a minute. But Cindy, were there any questions before I give my close? Um, got a couple of questions, and then uh, if anyone else has any questions, please just type them into your questions pane on the control panel in front of you. 
so one question, do you see leisure travel, leisure air travel going up uh, before you would see business travel go up? No, business travel is a, is a necessity. Personal travel, people now are renting cars and taking, you know, trains and they're, they're not flying. People are scared. Even the toughest person is scared. You know, everyone's a badass until they're really sick and then they want their mom. No, until people feel invincible and you're anti-fragile, until you feel like you can get on a plane and, you know what, I got the vaccine, cough on me all you want. <laughs> it's yeah. gonna change, it's gonna take a while. Uh, next question is um, around innovation. Uh, do you see innovation increasing uh, as companies reallocate the overhead expenses associated with their offices and maintaining face-to-face uh, -face workforce versus uh, a remote It's workforce. a great So a lot of companies now, you see it in their discussions, in their 10Ks, and when they talk to the street, all that money that we were planning on spending on building a new, infrastructure, a new facility in Minneapolis or New York, wherever it was, our people have spoken, they are happier working from home, and we are delighted to put that money into XYZ, right? To put it into innovation, into new ideas. We're happy to put up that money back into our people, you know, right. being able to give them better, to, to attract better talent because we have more of it to do it with. I absolutely see that happening. It's great insight, whoever asked that question. And, and also the fact that now that everyone's embracing the remote workforce, hiring, uh, more talented uh, resources, human resources, without having to pay uh, relocation fees and higher mm -hmm. cost of living cities and things of that nature. Most your employees are happier if they can be where they want to be. Yeah. So, other questions? Any, any other questions, folks? Okay. Well, I think everyone's probably passed out terrified, Pete, but they're, 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 they're curled up in a fetal position in the corner of their kitchen. Here's my, here's my Christmas present to you. We may not be, as Americans, the best at preventing things. When I was a young man and I went to China for the first time, I used to mock all the people walking around with a mask on. And then a friend of mine in China said, you guys are so proud of being able to come up with ways to cure somebody when they're sick. We're pretty proud about not getting sick at all. This is a country that knows how to react. Boy, do we know how to react. Maybe it's not gonna happen right away, but the greatest minds in the world are about to take a look at cyber in a different way. They're going to reinvest in it in a different way. The technology that we came up with with these vaccines, this time last year, there was no COVID vaccine. Didn't exist. Now we have the template to create one the next time we have one, another outbreak, another pandemic. Imagine just for a second, if this country if America's science establishment, if the world's amazing science establishment decided they cared as much about curing cancer as we just decided we wanted to cure a pandemic. So many good things are going to come from the wreckage of 2020. We just have to wait it out a little bit and you have to be strong enough to stay in the rain. At the end of what is going to be 2021, I wanna promise all of you is a pot of gold. And what that gold is, is different depending on the companies we're in, whether it's advising people on cyber and physical security, helping people to maintain more stronger physical security and supply chains, whether it's being able to get re-engaged in what I think is going to be a bustling global trade. There's something beautiful at the end coming. You've just got to strap on your helmet, decide you're not going to lose and start swinging back. All right, we got to fight this thing together and get ourselves off the defensive. I think we've all had enough of playing defense. I wanna thank each and every one of you for supporting me throughout the new year. This has been a crappy crap crap year for Pete Mento. And the fact that I broke out on my own and I've been able to make more money and live a better lifestyle, spend more time with family and friends and the people I love than I ever did before while doing financially incredibly well in the face of what had been a very scary moment for me. It's all because of people like you it's the people who supported me and told me it was going to be okay when everything fell apart. It was Cindy and Chuck at Tapa. It was uh, my friend Brad Elrod. It was my friend Alex Ohanoff. It was all the people who came out of nowhere and said, we got you. I will never forget that. And I say it over and over again. 
you always held me up when I needed someone to help me. And this was the year I needed it more than ever. I'll always be here for you if you have questions. If you want to get through this, we'll do it together. And you can always count on me. Have a wonderful holiday and a great new year. And uh, I'll be here swinging along right with you. Let's go kick 2021 in the ass. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Pete. Be well. You're receiving well wishes from everyone in the audience. Thanks. I'll live, guys. Don't worry. I, I used to drink on Bourbon Street when I was 13. I can live through this. <laughs> Take care.